Okay. If you have a Bible, uh, would you like to turn to the book of Mark? And uh, we're going to spend some time looking together at uh, chapter 4, and we're going to read from verse 35. So I'll just let the buckets continue on their journeys while we, uh, while we read Mark. Chapter 4, verse 35. Uh, onwards from there. Here we go. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves break over the, broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, who has heard that passage of the Bible before today? My guess is that's fairly uh, familiar to many of us. Um, We're looking at previously, in, uh, earlier in chapter 4, uh, Jesus, and particularly his, his teaching ministry, a whole large crowd had gathered, and he was teaching on the lakeside, uh, using um, parables, illustrations, pictures, if you like, to, uh, to illustrate his kingdom and what his kingdom is like. And now, teaching is over for the day. Jesus says to his disciples, let's go over to the other side, the, o- the other side of the lake, that is. And credit to the disciples. They obey without questioning. Um, maybe they've come to recognize Jesus' rhythm, that he'll, he'll spend time teaching. Large crowds will gather, um, but he doesn't kind of just set up one permanent base expecting everybody to come. Um, so this happened once before in chapter 1, verse 36. Uh, again, Jesus has been teaching in the synagogue. People then from all over the town where he is, have turned up at the door, having heard that he's healed the sick um, and cast out demons. And so this massive healing ministry has begun um, as well. Jesus gets up very early in the morning while it was still dark. He left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And then in verse 36 of chapter 1, Simon and his companions went to look for him. And they, when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. Clearly their expectation and the the, the town's expectation, the crowd's expectation, is, well, of course, Jesus is going to stick around. We need him to stay exactly where he is. Um, whereas Jesus has got a different agenda. Um, no, it's, let us go. We need, to, we need to go to other places. Maybe that puzzles them first time round. But on this occasion, when this big crowd has gathered and Jesus has been teaching for the whole day, Jesus says, let's go to the other side. And just simple obedience, yes. We're with you. Uh, Let's go. So credit to the disciples. They are learning. But what happens out on the water that day uh, would blow their minds. 
And they've been learning a lot about who Jesus is and what his kingdom is like. But this moment, this time on the lake is, like I say, it's going to blow their minds. There are three things in this passage that we've read that are described as great. And as we go through the story, as we go through the account of what happened, we're just going to touch on those three things that are described as great, as big, um, as mega if you like. And the first of those is there is a great storm. Surprise, surprise. There is a great storm. All the note takers amongst you, three points. They all begin with great. Um, The great storm kicks off. Now, before that, I think the disciples are actually feeling quite confident. You see, Jesus says, let's go over to the other side. And verse 36, leaving the crowd behind, they took him along. The disciples are kind of taking charge. Okay, we can do this. We can make this happen. We will take you, Jesus. Now, Jesus has been sat in the boat whilst teaching, but maybe at times he's been out. Anyway, they're they're taking him into the boat. As it were, the boat is their area of expertise. At least it is for some, because for some of the 12, before following Jesus, they were fishermen. So they, they knew about boats. They knew about lakes. They knew about sailing and rowing. They knew about fishing. They knew about the weather and the conditions. This is This is what they know. This is what they're comfortable and familiar with. Jesus just went along as he was. Um, He is benefiting from their knowledge, their expertise in all of this. Um, So the disciples, they're kind of taking charge. They're feeling confident. And there were other boats as well, uh, we're told. Now, apparently, the Sea of Galilee, the conditions are quite changeable. The weather can change like that because the lake is 700 metres below sea level. And for some reason, that means it's really changeable. Um, check it out in a textbook. But anyway, there we go. There's my meteorological knowledge for the day. Um, so again, the disciples would have known that. They would have known that the conditions on this lake can change um, very, very quickly, even though it might have looked calm that evening. Um, but they encounter no ordinary storm. It's described here in the NIV as a furious squall, which I think sounds more like an argument. But um, other versions of the Bible might say, uh, or translations, fierce gale of wind. Um, But I'm going for just a mega storm, a big storm. So we've got waves breaking over the boat. Water is pouring into it. The boat is filling up. And it's clear from the disciples' reaction and the way the whole situation is described that this had reached the point where the boat could sink at any moment. They were in deep trouble. Um, and so whilst they might have felt confident to start with, there comes a point where the disciples feel utterly helpless. Sometimes that's what we can experience as well in events that are beyond our control beyond what we've experienced so far. It could be in any realm, any sphere of life. Maybe it's in the area where we feel really confident or where we've got some knowledge or expertise. It could be in the workplace. Uh, It could be with finances. It could be in health. Either our own or a loved one is is in uh, really dire straits health-wise. There's an unexpected tragedy or relationship is breaking down. Um, Kids and parents not getting on or whatever it might be we might start confident 
I think I can handle this. I think the disciples started in that way. Well, there's no need to wake Jesus up yet because we've kind of seen this thing before. Uh, we're the experts around here. Uh, we'll be able to deal with this and he'll be able to just keep resting. Maybe that's what they felt to start with. I can handle this. We can handle this. But then realize, hang on a minute, this is in a completely different category from anything we've experienced before. Um, and so panic sets in. Ah, shipwreck is inevitable. We are going to drown. Apparently, storms and hurricanes are kind of categorized um, for the nations that experience the real massive ones. We've just got the great storm of 87, which wasn't really technically even a hurricane, but it still knocked down lots of trees and caused a bit of chaos. Um, but the great storm of 87, or the, or the great floods of 2007. Um, but in, in some countries, there will be just category, categories of storm. Okay, This was category one, um, and no one really bats an eyelid. But if it gets up to category five, um, then that's really mega. And if it's beyond that, then you'd imagine it doesn't take long for, um, for panic to set in. So we've got disciples feeling utterly powerless and helpless. I think as a result, and you might spot this in the text, I think they all also feel a little bit angry because this trip was Jesus' idea. We are here in the boat because Jesus said, let's go to the other side. We were doing well. We didn't question him. We just obeyed. We're recognizing how he operates. And so we just decided we're going to follow him. And look where it got us. Look where it landed us. And so unlike Jonah in the Old Testament, they're in this storm because they obeyed God. Jonah disobeyed God, ran away from God, got in a boat going in the opposite direction, and God sent a storm to stop him in his tracks and send him back via the belly of a fish. But it's because Jonah disobeyed. So when the storm comes, Jonah's not kind of angry. He's kind of just, well, I think I know why this is happening. Uh, it's because I'm disobeying God. And obviously they work out what to do. Here, the disciples are like, well, we've, we've obeyed you, Jesus. We're following you. And now, and now this has happened. This is the believer's version of Stephen Fry's rant um, a week or so uh, back. Stephen Fry, that British institution of comedy and atheism all wrapped up together, which is a combination that sometimes does go together. Anyway, um, he went on a bit of a rant in an interview saying you know, about the, the, the misery that we have to experience that is not our fault. And he called God uh, capricious. And if you don't know what that means like me, it means mean-minded. Um, so he, he says, God, you don't care. The God that he doesn't believe in, actually. Um, I don't believe in you, but if I find out that you are real... Um, I'm just going to tell you, you're mean. And I don't really want to spend time with you. This, that's what Stephen Fry was, was saying. Well, it's not very different, is it, from the disciples saying, teacher, don't you care? Don't you care? We're here for reasons outside of our own control, trying to follow you. So there's this great storm outside the boat, but there's also a bit of a storm in the disciples. They're questioning God's care. They're questioning God's goodness. Whatever has happened is just outside of their experience. They've got no category 
to sort of define this storm. It's bigger than anything they've experienced before. And so they're powerless, but they're feeling a tad angry, um, upset as well. And sometimes we might um, identify it with that. So we've got the great storm, and then comes the great calm. Now we see this, the great peace, if you like. We actually see this first in Jesus himself, who was sleeping on a floating cushion in a sinking boat. I think they needed to wake him up at the point when the boat could have sank. It means the boat has almost filled up with water completely. There's almost no difference between the sea and the boat at this point. They're both just full of water. And Jesus somehow is still asleep at that point. And um, it's probably wise for us to say, look, well, actually, the demands of the day, the demands of what's happening, probably means he's physically exhausted. That's going to be a large factor in why he managed to be asleep through this great storm. But it also speaks uh, of a great peace. Anyway, the disciples wake him up. I love this. If they really did think that they were all about to die, it's like, quick, Jesus, wake up, wake up. You're going to die. Um, well, just let him sleep then. Um, but they wake him up. Probably there's a faint glimmer. We don't know what. We don't know how. But maybe Jesus can do something. And so they've seen that Jesus has authority to teach. We've seen that he's got authority to uh, rebuke evil spirits. We saw that in chapter 1 and verse 25. Um, where again, Jesus says, Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. So they've, they've seen his authority to teach. They've seen his authority to uh, rebuke evil spirits. A little bit later, we see his authority to heal the sick in chapter 1 and verse uh, 41. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man and said, I'm willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was um, he was cured. We see him, um, he has the authority to, uh, to understand and explain the, the Sabbath. So the teachers of the law are after him. They want to accuse him. They're against him. Uh, in, in chapter 2 and verse uh, 28, Jesus says, Look, the Son of Man, talking of himself, is Lord even of the Sabbath. He defines, he, he applies um, the Sabbath, rather than their uh, rigid application of laws that have got kind of encrusted over time. And he has the authority to call people to be part of the kingdom of God. We've seen that as well. Chapter 3, verse 13, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He is um, he's bringing about the new kingdom of God, the new people of God. And whereas Israel was known for its 12 tribes, Jesus is kind of starting out in his ministry and he's calling people to him uh, and he's called 12 disciples to be right close to him. He's kind of doing something dramatic. He's already said you know, that, that, um, that if new wine is poured into an old wineskin, uh, the wineskin's going to burst and the wine's going to be ruined. So he's got the authority to do something completely new. New wine in a new wineskin. He is... A man of authority. Um, and now they see that he has the authority to rebuke the wind and waves. In verse 39 of chapter 4. Notice this. They come to him with their 
don't you care? And what does he do first? First of all, graciously, he deals with the storm. He deals with the wind. He deals with the, wa- the waves. And he rebukes them in words very similar to the words that he used to rebuke an evil spirit. Quiet. Be muzzled. Just stop. Just a couple of words. And the elements obey. This is incredible. And the wind died down, we're told in verse 39, and it was completely calm. There's the great. It became greatly calm. A mega calm came. Now, God has dealt with, through Jesus, the storm that was outside the boat. What's going to happen now to the storm that was inside the disciples? The disciples were absolutely scared, witless, with a bit of a flavor of anger as well. They're in a complete panic. We might expect that now Jesus has dealt with the big storm outside the boat, we'd also find that the disciples are also just, ah, wonderful. Just really now afresh, enjoying the tranquility. Thank you, thank you, Jesus. It's just so helpful to have you around. We've handled so many storms before, but this one, we just needed a little bit of extra help, and you were here, and you've said a few magic words, and brilliant, look, it's all completely still. The clouds have all rolled back. This mysterious lake has gone back to being, uh, being calm. Again, they, they would know that the, the conditions could change really quickly, but it's clear they don't just put this down to natural causes. They see the elements have responded to the authority of Jesus. Right, so, so surely we're going to find that now this great calm and peace comes upon the disciples Whereas actually what we find is our third great thing, our third mega. We've had the mega storm. We've had this great calm come. Now there's, well, we could call it great awe, or actually we could just say great fear. Forget great calm. The disciples are now, as it were, even more afraid of something else. That great storm outside the boat was completely unique in their experience. They had no category to describe it. They'd never experienced it before, and so they were terrified of the storm. Now, they were hoping that Jesus would help, and now that he has, in a way that really exceeded all of their expectations... He rebuked the storm and it just stopped instantly. They're now looking at a man who sat on the same boat as them and they're saying, forget the storm. He is unique in our experience. We have no category to describe this man who is sat with us on the boat. Now they call him. They say, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Well, of course, that describes what he's been doing. He's been teaching And they would have a category for teacher. They would have come across lots of teachers of the law. Now Jesus is a bit different, but it's not a new category. Jesus is a teacher. Um, Jesus is a leader. Well, he's he's very different to other ones we've come across, uh, other revolutionary figures, but they still had the category leader. And Jesus was a different leader, but he was a leader. 
Now, even they might have come across other healers and people who had some kind of healing ministry. And so Jesus is completely different. It's on a different scale entirely, but they still had that category. He's a healer. Well, yeah, we've come across other healers as well. They will have come across exorcists, people who brought uh, deliverance for people, freedom from um, evil spirits, forces of darkness. They would have had that as a frame of reference. They would have had that category. Okay, Jesus does it in quite a powerful way, but there were Jewish exorcists around at the time. Um, so it wasn't a new category. They would be familiar with that. Um, and they would be familiar with other prophets, if not from their direct experience. Well, actually, now they had experienced a prophet in their midst because there was John the Baptist. Uh, and they, uh, many of them had been disciples of John the Baptist first. So when, when there was something that had a kind of prophetic edge to it, I think, well, wow, Jesus is in a completely different league, but we still have that category. We still have the category prophet. And so Jesus is pretty remarkable, but he's like an, a remarkable version of things we already knew uh, and of people we've already met and experienced. Leaders, teachers, healers, exorcists, prophets. Now, in this moment, they realize we don't have a category for this man. We cannot understand him and who he is. His authority exceeds all of our expectations. This is a mind-blowing staggering moment. So this is not kind of peace descending in the boat. Verse 41 says, they were terrified and they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, of course, later on, they, maybe even with Jesus' help, they might have turned to other passages in Scripture to, to answer that question. Um, one might be, for example, Psalm 89. And uh, reading just in particular verses 8 and 9. That psalm says, O Lord God Almighty, who is like you? You are mighty, O Lord, and your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule over the surging sea when its waves mount up. You still them. So the psalms gave them a way of understanding. At this point, it's just a question that's left hanging in the air that doesn't get answered now for chapters. They're just asking themselves, who is this? Who is this? With the help of Psalm 89 and the rest of the Gospels, the the dots would join up. Well, we know there is somebody who can still any storm. The Lord God Almighty, who created the heavens and the earth, who, by his powerful word, brought the whole universe into existence and rules over the raging seas. Yes, we know there's one. Well, there's nothing that he can't do. He's got authority over all things up there in glory and majesty. And now they're just beginning to consider, who's this in the boat then? God's in the boat. God has come down and is with them right there. Maybe that goes some way, a little way, to answer Stephen Fry's hang-ups on that subject of suffering. The God who created the universe would step down and be subject 
to the worst suffering that it could throw at him. So this massive almighty storm raging in the elements that God created, God is then prepared to come down and sit in the boat that's being buffeted by this massive storm and experience it for himself. We think, well, okay, it's a big storm, but that's not, that's not the worst. That's not, the, that's, not the, that's not suffering that is the, the very worst that life uh, could throw at him. Well, one uh, guy has, has written that, in fact, in some ways, just these verses, these, this little well-known situation in the life and ministry of Jesus, in Mark's gospel, it's, it's like the gospel hinted at in, in miniature form, describing the whole story of Mark's gospel, which is this. Jesus and the disciples are going about their business. They are interrupted by evil forces. Jesus finally is not asleep, but slumped on a cross. And the question sounds out, why are you afraid? Which is what Jesus asks here. And then on the third day, peace. The storm is stilled. And maybe that goes some way to answer our fears too. Because there will be times when we encounter stuff that we've never experienced before. Uh, occasions where we can feel helpless, where we can be doubting God's goodness, where we might feel as though we're just having to fend for ourselves, and this wonderful God that we decided to follow is asleep on a cushion in the boat. Oh, wonderful, you're with us, Lord. That's so great, but why are you asleep? Why aren't you intervening? Why aren't you doing something? And we are, we are tempted to ask the same question. In circumstances beyond our control, Jesus, don't you care? All I can see is the inevitability of doom, and this is not working out well. And, well, what happens next? How do we respond to that moment? I think for me, I don't have any personal story that would really match up with uh, being an experience of a massive storm of being absolutely swamped. But I can, because we've all had moments where we experience something that we never come across before that challenges us and is uncomfortable. I can identify with that. And I can remember one occasion um, just needing to kind of get away from everything and just speak with God. And I was asking him, it was more like I was anticipating a storm that might come rather than being in the storm myself at a time when I just had, yeah, all my categories had been a bit unsettled. Um, and so I can say, I can remember asking God, not uh, asking God, are you going to be there? Are you going to be with me? Months down the line. When the going gets tough and this water, which is relatively calm at the moment, but I know that the conditions are going to be quite changeable, and this is heading into something new. You're saying, let's go to the other side. I'm saying, I'm already anticipating there's going to be storms. And this won't be straightforward. I want to know that you're going to be there. I want to know, probably, that you're just going to sort everything out. But I want to know that you're going to be... So that was what I was asking. And then just sensing him turn it round and say, yes, I'll be there. But are you going to call on me? And I'll be there 
but are you going to trust me? That's the, that's the question that Jesus asks the disciples. Why are you so afraid? Mark's version kind of records it in a slightly blunter way. Uh, do you still have no faith? If you read in, in Luke's gospel or, or Matthew's account, uh, a subtle difference where it's saying, um, oh, ye of little faith, or where is your faith? There's been evidence of it before. Where is it right now? Uh, so maybe Mark says, well, that's still accurate to say, right now you've got no faith. Because right at any given moment, we're either exercising faith and trusting God, or we're exercising fear and putting God at a distance. So that question comes, are, are you going to trust me? These disciples came to this moment of, of great awe because they realized who it was that was with them in the boat. Not just, any, not just another leader, another teacher, another healer, another exorcist, or another prophet, realizing, no, this, this shatters all of that. It's why we have the word holy. Because holy is to help us to say of God, you, you are completely different to us. You're completely beyond us. You're completely other to us. And that's appropriate for Jesus. They were having an encounter with the holiness and the majesty of God before them as a man. So this incident is not recorded by Mark and other synoptics as well, so that we just expect every storm to vanish the moment we click our fingers in the name of Jesus. Um, why, why has this storm not gone yet? It doesn't seem to be working. Um, this is here in Mark's Gospel to draw us to the same point of awe and wonder, even, even fear. This is Jesus. This is the Son of God. Now, we, we got that in, in Mark's Gospel right at the outset. We, it's, it's no surprise for us because we're told in chapter 1, the beginning of the Gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We were kind of given the heads up for the disciples. They're just walking through and, 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 and spending time with this man who's discipling them. And we haven't quite worked out who he is yet. That's why the question is just left hanging. And they're in utter awe. And they're on that journey, learning, learning to trust him. And that's a journey for us too. Are we on that journey, learning to trust him? When something new, potentially something horrific, comes across our bows, like, Jesus, don't you care? Or, you're the son of God. And my life is in your hands. I don't know what's going to happen to this particular storm, this particular boat, this particular situation, but I know who is with me. And he is awesome. That fear of the storm gets replaced by just a wonderful awe of God.